And welcome to any of you who are visiting with us this morning. Um, if you are visiting or if you're new, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to know how we can serve you, answer any questions that you have. So there's one of these in the uh, pew in front of you. You could fill it out and just drop it off at the little desk out there in the lobby after the service. Um, we'd love to know if there's any way we can serve you, pray for you, um, be of help to you. Um, even as you're, maybe if you're looking for a church and you have questions, uh, we'd be happy to try to answer those for you. All right, well, and also, actually, while we're on the subject of baptisms, which is why our screen is out of the way, by the way, um, we're going to have another baptism next Sunday morning. Um, we have one to two people, definitely one, maybe two, um, that are going to be baptized next Sunday. So if you are a believer in Jesus and you have yet to be baptized, come talk to me afterwards and um, you may be able to be baptized next Sunday as well. Okay? Um, so we're in the midst of a series on the Holy Spirit called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. We don't have the slides today because of the screen not being up. So there's, a, there's an outline in your bulletin to help you follow along. <clears throat> and I want to just get us thinking here because this morning the topic is using your Spirit-given gifts. So Lord willing, unless something changes, we've got two weeks left, this week and next week in this series, Keeping in Step with the Spirit. This morning is on using your spiritual gifts. Next week is on being, in, being filled by the Spirit to engage in the mission of Jesus, okay? So that's next week. So I'm going to get started here by reading a little quote and plugging this book. Uh, the, some of the ladies that are doing the book study, they're actually going to discuss it tomorrow night. So if you're like a crazy reader and you want to grab a copy and, you know, join them tomorrow, you could do that. Um, but I'd encourage you to get it and read it. Jesus continued, why the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Kind of provocative. Um, so J.D. Greer, it's a great book. Um, highly recommended. So he has a little line in here, or a little paragraph in here that, that I love C.S. Lewis, I love the Chronicles of Narnia, so I resonated with this, and it was helpful. Here's what he says. I love the scene in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in which Father Christmas... How many of you are familiar with Lord of the Rings here? Or, no. <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia. Well, Lord of the Rings, you know. Um, okay, just to see how many of this is going to hit. Um, if you're not familiar, that would be a problem. So there's a scene where Father Christmas gives each of the four displaced children a mysterious gift. They're in Narnia, away from home, this magical land. They don't realize it at the time, but these gifts will prove essential in the coming battle they are to have with the white witch and her minions. And those minions are not yellow, by the way. <laughs> All right. For example, in the heat of that battle, Lucy realizes that her gift, a healing ointment, has been given to her to bind up the wounded in battle. Not to just stay in a nice little glass thing and sit on her hip in a pouch. Peter realizes his sword has been given to lead an assault on the white witch. In those moments, they perceived what Aslan, the lion representing Jesus, wanted from them in the battle by looking at their gifts. In the same way, we come to know more about what God wants from us by reflecting on the gifts he has given to us. Do you know your specific spiritual giftings? Knowing these is essential, you see, to understanding what the Spirit wants from your life. 
Okay, <clears throat> so the theme, the title of the series is Keeping in Step with the Spirit. That language comes from Galatians 5.25. We looked at that passage last week, so you don't have to turn there. Well, actually, turn there. <laughs> Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians um, 12 if you've turned there. Maybe you haven't turned there yet because we read from Romans 12. But flip first to Galatians 5 because I want to build a bridge between what we looked at last week and what we're going to look at this week. So if you missed it last week, you can always go online and listen to last week's message. But um, Galatians 5.25 is where the, the, it's kind of the theme verse of the series where Paul writes, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then in verse 26, which we did not consider, we ended at 25 last week, he writes this, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What does that mean? Well, the word translated conceited is, is a compound word in Greek, and it could be very literally translated empty of glory, okay? Or like the old King James translated as vainglory. It's a good translation for this word. So let us not become conceited, in other words, puffed up. But we know what a puffed up person is puffed up with when they're puffed up. Just hot air, right? It's emptiness. So they're not full of substance. They're actually empty of substance. The word glory in the Bible has connotations of weight and worth and substance. Okay, so when we get prideful... The irony is we're actually insecure underneath. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like by personal experience, we have so much to prove, so much to lose that we have to prove to ourselves and others that we're not as weak as we feel. We're not as insecure as we feel. So when that happens, when we get puffed up and conceited, we either think that we're better than others, which betrays the fact that we need to be. Why do we need to be better than others? Or we betray the fact that really, we really want others to think that we're better than most. Okay, so either way, we're showing, we're proving, we're demonstrating the emptiness talked about this last week, the emptiness of the flesh. You're either going to walk by the Spirit or you're going to be walking according to the flesh. This flesh are these selfish, sinful impulses, your sinful nature, your fallen nature. We're born bent and broken. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to disobey you, okay? It's natural. So when we walk by the flesh, when we, we live those selfish, turned-in-on-ourselves lives, we're actually empty and we know how small and weak we are, and we hate it. We want to be big and impressive, okay? So if, if you have to try to establish your own worth and substance and glory in your own strength, it'll leave you flat out empty all the time. And it will leave you grasping for worldly glory and worldly reasons to believe that you're somebody and not nobody, okay? Which we all fear being nobody, so if you're empty of glory, do you see what happens? Look back at verse 26. We provoke other people and we envy other people. 
So guess what? Do you know what you could kind of modernize the language? You know what Paul's referring to there? He's basically saying, if you are puffed up with this empty vainglory thing, get conceited, we end up operating with superiority complexes and inferiority complexes. We want the spotlight of perfection. The, the, we know we should be better than we are. We know we should be perfect even. The law judges us. We know we don't measure up. And so we want the, the, the feeling of not measuring up to, to kind of go away from us. We don't want it to shine on us. We hate it when our weaknesses and inadequacy and our failures and our mistakes make us look bad. So we love to shine that spotlight on others to expose their failures and weakness and mistakes. That way we can puff ourselves up by deflating them. So you see how this happens? You get empty and you start provoking superiority complex. Look down on other people from your perch. Or you envy. You wish you were better. I deserve to be. I deserve that, that promotion or whatever. Why do they have it and not me? I'm worthy. It's like your wounded pride, okay? So are you hypercritical, easily offended? Do you have thin skin? Do you get worked up over petty things? If you find yourself having a critical spirit, it's because you're taking out your wounded pride on somebody else. It's betraying your empty of glory the vainglory thing that's going on in your heart. So your flesh, do you see what's happening? Your flesh is creating a diversion. When you, when you provoke and envy other people, really what's happening is it's betraying the fact that you're empty of substance. You want the spotlight to go elsewhere because you're really uncomfortable in your skin. So that hypercritical thing, when we do this provoking and envying, it's like a warning light on the dashboard of our life that we're operating not under grace, but under law. We're living out of self-righteousness, self-justification. So deep in our hearts, we want the world to be set up according to relative righteousness. And I'm better than that person. I should be better than, I should have better opportunity than this other person. Is anybody resonating? You guys track with this? So when we operate that way, we want the world to run by works and not by grace. Which means we're totally out of touch with our own unrighteousness, totally out of touch with God's righteousness and his divine justice and mercy. So what happens is we criticize those who succeed because we're jealous. We criticize those who fail because it's a relief for the failure spotlight to shift from us to them. We get critical when we get empty of gospel, glory, and grace. Okay? And our text for this morning, as I told you, we're going to build a bridge between Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Our text for this morning, as we focus on using our spirit given gifts, is 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. We're obviously not going to walk through these three chapters in detail. That would take a long time. We're going to focus on a few key themes. But the first one is right in line with what we see here in Galatians 5. Okay, so look over at 1 Corinthians 12 now. Flip over there. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 959. <clears throat> We're going to skip down to the middle of chapter 12 here first because I want you to see 
these parallel thoughts. So we're going to look first at 12, 15 to 26, and I'm just going to hit a couple of verses in there. But the Corinthians that Paul was writing to, they were suffering from pride and selfishness. It was really obvious, if you're familiar with the book, from, from fleshliness, you know, that selfishness and immaturity. Back in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So they were operating in a way that betrayed their puffed-up emptiness. And no surprise, they were provoking and envying one another. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you know that's the case. We'll look at 12, 15 to 16 when it comes to spiritual gifts. If the foot should say, so it's, this is the body metaphor, Jesus is the head, we are members of his body, not like members at Costco where you can kind of go in and out. This is like actual members, like a finger. If you're missing your kneecap, that's a problem. You're an organic member. So we're all members. If you're a Christian, you're a member of the body of Christ. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. <sighs> really wish I was, really wish I was a hand. No, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. No inferiority complexes here, folks. Do you see it? you see the parallel? And then look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. Superiority complex. So God designed it design the body, that there be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care one for each other. Paul says that in verses 24 to 26. So each part, each, each member organically of the body of Christ is vital and indispensable to the body growing and functioning as it should. We need each other. We all need to pull our weight. We have a job to do. And you learn that job by looking at what your gifts are. Each has a gift or gifts. And those gifts were given wisely and sovereignly and lovingly by the Spirit. He knows what he's doing. So there's no reason for jealousy or envy or pride or self-pity. Okay? So rather than this puffed-up, empty conceit, is there an alternative to that lifestyle, <laughs> to living puffed up, constantly critical, picking fights, constantly defeated with no will to fight? Okay, it's either or. I mean, how much love are you going to be pouring out if you're in that state? If you're empty and you either love to pick a fight or you're defeated and you've given up the fight, you're not going to have any resources to love anybody to use your gifts for the good of the body because it's all about you. It's all about you whether you're provoking, it's all about you if you're envying. And that's slavery. And it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Those themes in Galatians 5 are still coming up in this. So there's an alternative and it's beautiful. It's where real life and freedom is found. It's point number two, gospelized spiritfulness that leads to confident humility, which leads to love, okay? So, again, I'm going to tie 
Galatians together with 1 Corinthians here, um, and then we'll dive solely into 1 Corinthians. Um, So over the last two weeks, we saw that the alternative to this kind of selfish, emptiness, slavery sort of living, fleshly living, the alternative is to crucify our sinful, selfish nature, these impulses, and to trust Jesus. I can't establish my own righteousness. I can't be justified by works of the law. The law is good, but it doesn't have any power to change me internally. That just, just behavior modification, moving around the furniture a little bit is the best I can do. I have no power to make me righteous and acceptable before God. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. And Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died in our place so we could live. Galatians 2.20, I have been, as Paul speaking, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that happens, that awakening, that awareness, that death to to your old life and raised to new life, that happens by the Spirit, not by our own effort. It's a miracle of grace that happens when the Spirit raises us from the dead, gives us new birth. You receive this work. You don't earn it or accomplish it. So Galatians 3, remember a few weeks back, Paul, you know, the Galatians were in danger of just drifting back into this old way of life. And he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Of course, it's by hearing with faith. You received it. So Paul says, and then Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, if that's how you came alive, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep living this way. Okay, so if you were unrighteous and deserving of wrath and hell, if you were totally unable to rescue yourself, if Jesus bore that wrath in your place on the cross, if you were justified by grace, it's a gift through faith in Jesus, and that love and acceptance from the only one whose opinion ever really ever matters, if that came to you while you were dead in your sins, it came while you were ungodly, justifies the ungodly people like us, why do we need to use other people to puff ourselves up, put other people down to build ourselves up, bite and devour and use people to get ahead. We don't because we've got everything. We've been approved by the only one whose opinion ever matters. I've been given what I most desperately need and there's nothing left to prove. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So believing the gospel, that's why I say gospelized, spirit-filled living, By the power of the Spirit, we believe the gospel. It saturates us down to to our bones. And what happens? Superiority and inferiority complexes die away. And in their place, the Spirit produces confident humility. You know who you are. But who you are is only a gift of grace. (laughs) You don't have anything to prove anymore. I love what Tim Keller says. It's something like this. We're more sinful than we dared to admit, but we're more loved than we ever dared imagine. That will make you a confidently humble person that no longer looks down on other people to build yourself up or looks up at other people, pining away in self-pity, wishing because you know who you are. You've got everything. You've got God. You've been reconciled to God. And when the Spirit does that in you, do you see how love for other people grows? 
The fruit of the Spirit is love. So 526, and then what would you expect? Live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't. Empty glory, biting, provoking, envying. Instead, love. And Galatians 6 goes on to say, love people. <laughs> love people that are struggling. So do the Spirit. And as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Love, especially those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so do you see what kind of life God wants to produce in us? The freedom and the, the power to love? I mean, those two options, which one do you want to do? You want to do puffed up emptiness, provoking envying, superiority, inferiority, selfishness. Anybody? Gospel saturated, just I've been gospelized through and through by the Spirit. And I am a confidently humble person boasting only in the cross. And that produces love. Anybody? Great. No? Just a few. Okay. Well, hopefully the rest of you will wake up by the end of the morning here. Um, so, bridge to, second, or to 1 Corinthians this is the same kind of life that Paul's calling them to live. It's why he started out the book by saying this. In fact, go ahead and flip to 1 Corinthians 1. And look how the gospel kills superiority and inferiority complexes. 1 Corinthians 1.26 For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to, the world, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That would be humility. And because of him, you are in Christ. Humility again, it's all of him, all of grace. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Confidence. So you're nothing special. I'm nothing special. Weak, lowly. But we are gloriously special to God. He chose us. Confident humility. So we're going to focus the rest of the morning on spiritual gifts, but the manner in which we exercise them is vitally important. Okay? So not out of pride. You know, have, have you ever realized you've done that? You've exercised your gift out of pride to impress, to feel good about yourself, I mean, imagine if we, we went into spiritual gifts and I just said, okay, hey, folks, you know, what's your gift? Here's the spiritual gift survey. If you could please all fill this out and turn it in and we'll, you know, collate the, uh, the results and we'll spit back your answer and like where you should serve and whatever. Be sure to use your gifts or you'll lose them, you know, use it or lose it. See you next week. You don't need a cross for that. Let's just get busy. Why? What's driving you? So the motivation is everything. So that's why I spend half the message focusing on 
how we exercise the gifts, why we exercise the gifts. Okay, so now we're jumping into 1 Corinthians 12. Point number three, the giver of the gifts. Let's see where they come from. This will both produce the humility and the confidence. Verse one, now concerning spiritual gifts, it's actually a term, pneumaticon, like it's, it's like spirituals. And, and Paul's kind of grasping for some words here because it's a very broad term. Manifestations of the Spirit, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. One of the earlier messages, what did we, what did we learn? The Spirit loves to honor the Son. He loves to shine the searchlight, the spotlight, like J.I. Packer says, spotlight ministry of the Spirit. So any use of the spiritual gifts that does not honor the Son or draws attention away from Jesus and the gospel is not Spirit-led. Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts. That's where there's that ter- term charismaton, okay, it's where we get charismatic or even charis, grace, like a grace gift. So now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service. This is the term that we get deacon from. Deacons are servants. Varieties of service, but the same Lord, that's Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God. So isn't this beautiful? The spiritual gifts, they're presence in your life and their exercise, their use, it's a Trinitarian affair. Same Spirit, same Lord Jesus, same God, who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he goes on in verses 8 to 10, and he says that these gifts are given through the Spirit, according to the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. But then in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, he says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose, and he's speaking of the body of Christ. So again, let's be Trinitarian in this. Have you ever noticed how there's like these pendulum swings in the church and maybe even in your own life? You know, have you ever, I've seen this happen where somebody had a bad father experience and they're always praying to Jesus and they just don't really relate to God as father? It's like, no. I know your earthly father was a poor reflection, but that can actually make the father of God all the sweeter to you. Don't not relate to, the, to God the father because of your poor earthly father. Or somebody grew up in a church where they were like the frozen chosen and really stiff, and then they hear about the spirit, and they just go over here, and they, spirit, 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 and you know, forget about the gospel. How about we just always be Trinitarian and just normal? Let's just let the Bible guide us in that, okay? So we clearly see how the gifts are manifestations of the Spirit, but the triune God is involved in these gifts, services, activities, okay? Now, why are we given these gifts? Let's look at the purpose. This is so, this is just driven home over and over again in these chapters, 12 to 14. I want you to be sure to see it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, for the common good. Now, that word translated common good is normally translated as benefit. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for gain, for benefit. 
And I just wonder if Paul is wisely setting the Corinthians up for the punch of these three chapters. Because they are very interested in benefit and profit because of their selfish orientation. So they hear benefit and oh, their ears perk up. And then Paul goes on through these chapters to talk about the nature of the benefit he's talking about. So watch how he does that in this section, okay? Flip to chapter 14 and look at verses 3 to 5. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So greater there in verse 5, the one who prophesies is greater. Does that mean, ooh, he's really impressive? No, greater is defined by what does the greater good for the church, for her benefit, building up, just like Jesus. If, if you want to be great, be a servant, slave of all. Look down at 14.12. So with yourselves, since you were eager with, for manifestations of the Spirit, they were really eager for the impressive displays of spirituality, but they used it selfishly. So he says, so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We'll just look at four. There's a few more. I think I listed them all in the bulletin there. 14, 19, look down there. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my... He says, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue if it doesn't build anybody up. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. That's the kind of benefit that Paul is after. That's the kind of gain and benefit he wants the Corinthians to go after. So not showy manifestations to puff themselves up, but loving manifestations to build others up. That's why you and I have been given a gift or a few gifts. So the question is, are you fulfilling that purpose? Are you on that mission with your gifts? Is that what drives you? Is that the the reason you use them? Well, that's why they've been given to you by the sovereign spirit of God. Now, $64,000 question, what about the sign gifts? These so-called miraculous gifts as if like all of the gifts are miraculous because they are wrought by the you know omnipotent spirit so even if your gift is helps or service or something like that that's miraculous especially if you're doing it not for your you know to feel better about yourself how many people serve 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 um, because they need the affirmation they need to be needed so if you serve and help behind the scenes and nobody sees because you you just you just love to love people and you want Jesus to get all the glory and you don't need any, that's supernatural. That's miraculous. But, okay, $64,000 question, what about the sign gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing? 
So those questions and issues are intentionally not the focus of this series. I'm not going to sidestep them, pretend like, oh, we're just not going to talk about that and hope it goes away. hope nobody asks, okay? Be happy to talk about those things. I'm actually, I think what I'm going to do, rather than going gift by gift by gift with explanation, send out something so that as, if you, if you need to discover your gifts, you can read through that explanation as you prayerfully seek to discover what, what, how God has gifted you, okay? But let me just kind of give a little bit of rationale for why this series has been focused where it's been focused. Many people under the banner of Christianity measure spirit-filled or spirit-led by some odd criteria, okay? So whether, whether or not you speak in tongues, okay? And Paul expressly says at the end of chapter 12 that not all will speak in tongues. Sometimes by other things like the kind of music or how much spontaneity versus preparation as if a written prayer is, you know, non-spiritual and an extemporaneous prayer is really spiritual. Well, somebody forgot to tell David that because he wrote those prayers out and we all are pretty glad that the Psalms are there. And some of them are arranged poetically, amazingly, acrostic poems. Are you kidding me? That didn't just happen in a second. So the focus of the series has intentionally been elsewhere because the primary focus of the Spirit's ministry is elsewhere. The Spirit shadows the Word and delights to illuminate what has already been revealed so that we delight in it and believe it and live it. The Spirit loves to shine, like I said already, the spotlight on the sun, not to draw attention to Himself through ostentation ostentatious displays, but so that we, we love Jesus, not just know more facts about Jesus, but we, we admire Him, we want to be like Him, we worship Him. The Spirit loves to birth and grow faith in Christ. Life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, so that faith will work through love as we serve others, chapter 5 of Galatians. Spirit loves to assure us of God's love for us as our Father and we His children so that we cry out, Abba, Father, especially in the midst of suffering. And He gives us foretastes of the coming kingdom so that we're put out of taste for the deceitful pleasures of this world and our appetite is whetted. We're hungry for more of God. The Spirit loves to empower us for bold witness, okay? So these are the things that are central, ought to be central. Whether or not you believe the sign gifts have ceased with the closing of the canon, the end of the apostolic age, or whether you believe they continue until Jesus returns. And we have some more work. I'm just going to be honest. We have some more work among us as elders to wrestle through where we are because we have some, a spectrum as far as where we are on that, on our team. Okay, so the burden of the elders as we discussed this series was was on the kind of freedom and joy and love and vitality and fruitfulness that can come only when we are walking by, empowered by, keeping in step with the Spirit, okay? In addition, please note and just know that I'm not a cessationist, so I, I hope that you hear this. Even with saying, I believe those things continue, please know that we just have to be so careful. The presence of sign gifts is no sign of maturity. The church of Corinth had these gifts in operation, and it was infantile. 
okay? Look at 1 Corinthians 1.4. He says to them, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched, enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. <laughs> the gifts were just poured out on this church as immature and fleshly as it was. So that's why in chapter 14 he says, so with you yourselves, since you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So the presence of more seemingly impressive by immature measurements, more impressive gifts does not necessarily equate with maturity, which shouldn't surprise us because how many times have you heard of a high-profile pastor with high-profile ministry gifts, preaching gifts, get disqualified because of moral failure. And you say, well, how can this be? Add to that the fact that sign gifts can be counterfeited, folks. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Not everyone who says to me, this is a very sobering passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? It's pretty impressive. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Which I think actually that text is at least an indirect point that should show us that these things continue because if they didn't continue, the counterfeit would be obvious. Well, any, any sign is, it's all counterfeit between, Jesus's, between the end of the apostolic age and Jesus' return. But it would only make sense that there, it would be counterfeited if those gifts continued. Anyway, sorry, it's another point, but I said we're going to focus on the main thing here. So, all that said, I qualified a bunch there, and I gave some rationale why we focused where we focused in this series, but all that said, spiritual gifts are very important. <laughs> I'm not downplaying spiritual gifts at all. I'm just upplaying the walking in the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit stuff. So please don't hear me downplaying the importance. So now we're going to turn a corner and talk about how important they are. They're God's means for building up the church as people are drawn in and become Christians, emboldened to go speak and, and love people and be hospitable so people come into the kingdom, and God's means for building up his church and maturing us. So they are spirit-given tools for fulfilling the mission of Jesus, reaching the lost, building up the church for love, which is why chapter 13 is sandwiched between chapter 12 and 14. If you're exercising gifts without love, without the other-centeredness purpose of building up, then all you get is friction and division, superiority and inferiority. So I've heard it said, I don't even know, a long time ago, Love is like the grease in the gears of the exercise of the gifts in the church. Okay, so if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, our faith working through love, let's use our Spirit-given gifts. So last point, use your gift. Use your gifts. Okay, so many of you know your gifts, your gift or your gifts. Many of you are using them. Some of you, the ones really pouring yourselves out, let me speak to you first. Do you constantly feel you need to do everything that comes your way? Do you feel guilty for not doing more? 
I feel this way oftentimes. Well, guess what? You don't have all the gifts. And you don't have all the gifts for a reason. Because you're not Jesus. (laughs) And neither am I. So you can't and shouldn't do everything. And if you are in this category, let me give another warning. Oftentimes, people that are really laying it out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, the good of the church, you get passionate about what you're doing. It's a good thing. Some of you can think everybody should be as passionate about what you're doing as as you are. And you can get annoyed because everyone isn't as passionate about what you're doing and involved in what you're involved in. And what ends up happening? You start to get really fleshly and you start to provoke. And even envy. Oh, it must be nice to just be able to say no like you so easily like you do, you know? (laughs) Here I am laying it out Okay. Empty. Warning light. Ding, 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 ding. Empty. Because if you're filled by the Spirit, you're going to go, I'm so glad that person's not a people pleaser. They were comfortable to say no. They didn't feel pressured by me. I I want the Spirit to lead this person into this ministry. If If God wants them to be a part, that'd be great. The Lord will provide. Twist your arm, you know. Look down your nose. Judge them. Okay. But many of you are not in that situation. Okay? Some of you want to be minimalist in your commitment to the church. And you're more like a consumer. And you need a different exhortation. So, listen. No more passive, reception-only, armchair Christianity. Like, if I could put all that in a circle, I'd put a red line through it. (laughs) Okay? So, I'm just... Speak clearly, candidly here. If you are a Christian, you need to get baptized and you need to become a member. Just go all in. And guess what? We got a baptism this coming Sunday and membership class in September. The timing is perfect, okay? So if you're here, be all here. If you're still, you know, wrestling with, you're still searching for a church and you want, yeah, test that. It's great. Ask questions. Totally with you. Not trying to twist your arm. But if you're here, and you're a believer and you haven't been baptized and you're not a member, you need to dive in. Contact Gail in the office. If you're a Christian, use your gifts. See, we have, you know, we could go off a membership, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we have some roles for non-members, but we need to know who's here. We need to know who you are. Especially when we send you to go serve our kids, we really care about our kids and we want to protect them and keep them safe. So we want to know who's working with our kids. So there are roles that are only for members because there's a vetting process there. We're not trying to set up new hoops. You know, it's Jesus plus our little process. No, no, we're just trying to be wise. So membership is important. All of us, all in, that's where the Spirit's going to lead you. The building of the church and the building up of the church on the path of love for the common good, for the glory of Jesus in Newcastle County, and to the ends of the earth. So, another category. You might be unsure what your gift is. Your gifts are. Well, you might be a newer Christian. You don't even know, like, what are the options, you know? <laughs> um, well, start by discovering your gifts, okay? Seeking out your gifts. And if you, if you type in spiritual gift survey, like, online, you're going to get some hokey, cheesy stuff. There's a few out there that aren't so bad, but... I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. Um, 
start by prayerfully reading through the several lists of gifts in the New Testament. So, like I said, I'm going to send out a resource, hopefully middle of this week. Romans 12, 6 to 8, Brett read it this morning. There's a list of gifts. Prayerfully read. Have a little notebook. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, multiple gifts there. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. If you forget these references, I'll send the thing out, okay? 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, another little mini gift that really just separates into speaking gifts and serving gifts, more like categories than individual gifts, okay? None of those lists is exactly the same. So I'm not even sure, I don't even think that they're necessarily exhaustive. There's some overlap, okay? But how do I discover my gifts? Well, there's a helpful model. I told you I was going to quote this again. J.D. Greer's book, Jesus Continued. It has this little Venn diagram. You guys know what a Venn diagram is? You have multiple circles and they overlap. So imagine two circles and then a third circle here so it, where it overlaps here in the center because all tracking, okay? So ability, here's one circle. Passion, another circle. He calls it affinity. What are you concerned about? What are you passionate about? And affirmation, okay? Effectiveness, fruitfulness. So usually our spiritual gift is found at the intersection of what we're passionate about, what we're good at, and what truly benefits others. Like where there's been some effectiveness. Usually. Not always. Like sometimes God calls you to something that you feel totally ill-equipped for, and sometimes it's in and through the very steps of yielded obedience that God provides the equipping in the ministry, kind of like Moses. Um, could you get somebody else? Gideon, hey, mighty warrior, who are you talking to? I'm scared I'm in this wine vat because I don't want to face the enemy. I, I tell you how like, crazy of an introvert I was in college five-minute speech, senior year, still freaked out, meeting a visitor in church on Sunday morning in college, like you're an adult by then, you should be able to do this, way outside the comfort zone. Why don't you become a pastor, Chris? That's what I want you to do. It was painful, but slowly. So sometimes that happens, okay? Sometimes the Spirit supercharges and purifies natural, all of our abilities are supernatural because God made us, but purifies is so key because the reason why you do it is different. 